It's hard to believe it was just last Christmas that me and Harmony changed the world. We didn't mean to, and it didn't last long, you know, a thing like that can't. Now that I'm in L.A., I go to parties, you know, the kind where if a girl is named Jill, she spells it J-Y-L-L-E, that bullshit. That's me there. My name's Harry Lockhart. I'll be your narrator. Welcome to L.A. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Um, This is episode number 65. The movie we watched this week was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from 2005. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis, and joining me from the Rooster Bat Show, David Kadena. Hey, how you guys doing? I am your talking monkey. (laughs) All righty. So, okay, 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, Now, before we got started, we did have somebody in the chat saying they didn't know who this movie was, Kit London. Um, It's actually, that doesn't surprise me very much. This was kind of a small movie. Um, So, 2005, written and directed by Shane Black, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan. So, how, how familiar, you hadn't seen it before, but how familiar were you with it as a film prior to us talking? Uh, honestly, I haven't even heard of it at all. Um, when I made my list prior to the shows, uh, I went down a list of movies that were available, and I went basically down IMDb of like 2000s hits that I've never seen. So okay, that's where I was at. Yeah, I mean that works. So <clears throat> Shane Black, we'll we'll start there. Um, are you familiar with Shane Black? Uh, very, barely, barely. Yeah. Okay. So for, for those of you listening that don't know, um, Shane Black wrote and directed this film. This was his directorial debut, but he had been in Hollywood for almost 20 years at this point. Um, he is best known as the writer of Lethal Weapon. He created and wrote that first script. Um, he also wrote the first draft of the script for Lethal Weapon 2. He wrote The Monster Squad, uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, The Last Boy Scout, um, those are all his movies. And uh, he was also, he did a little bit of acting. He was in Predator. Um, if you remember in Predator, the kind of wormy guy with the great big glasses, that's Shane Black. Yep. Uh, he Haw- helped. Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins. And, you know, he helped um, write a little bit uh, of that, you know, kind of punch the script up. That was sort of the thing he decided he wanted to do. But this was the first movie that he got to write and then direct. And he's gone on to direct Iron Man 3. Um, and the Predator is his most recent one, uh, the 2018 Predator, which sadly did not review very well. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but he's got a style about him. First of all, almost all of his movies take place around Christmas. So, if if it's a Shane Black, Black movie, Harrow, the long good night, yep. kiss good night. If if it's a Shane Black movie, be prepared for there to be Christmas music and and or motif in there. Even though this movie has no snow in it at all, it's set around Christmas and there's all sorts of Christmassy decorations going on. Um, that's just the thing. He likes that time of year. He said in interviews, "Look, it's a great time of year. It's a time of year that sort of time stops for a few days, and it's just what he does." I don't have a problem with that. It's it is funny how many of his movies, because you look at, like, I think Lethal Weapon happened around Christmas. Yep. And then uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. 
I'm pretty sure Last Boy Scout does. I know this does. I know Iron Man 3 did. Um, it had a lot of Christmas reference to it. He also has a very distinct style of writing dialogue um, and the way his uh, main characters will interact. And you notice that with this movie, with Lethal Weapon, um, even the way Iron Man, which isn't really the buddy style movie that he normally has, had a lot of that in it. Um, yeah. But I like it. I like the Shane Black style. Those uh, He has kind of, he does some fourth wall breaks, especially in this. He did uh, quite a few of them. But there's, I don't know what it is about that style that works for me personally, but I, I do like it. I know some people don't. Um, what did you think of like the, the writing as far as kind of quippy? Cause it's a lot of, you know, quippy dialogue jabs back and forth. Um, well, you know, like starting off with, um, Harry Lockhart narrating his own story. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting story, especially when he breaks it down and he goes, Oh, wait, 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 I'm a horrible narrator. Let me back it up a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's me as a kid, you know? And, um, the writing's actually really good on this one. Um, you know, you could tell that the, well, who was the original writer of the novel? Uh, Brett Halliday, uh, that wrote the novel. Um, you can see that. I don't know if you've read the book and I, I was not. reading. So the, the book, uh, I didn't read the whole book, but I started reading the book cause we just decided on this last week. And based on the book, there's a lot of like, this murder mystery story um it does take a little ventures off of the book but still not not too horrible mm-hmm. so i thought it was a really good writing I, I like how the the story come about and how he does his own narrations and and goes into that and then forgets about his like um his first person in his magic show yeah i think that's really cool <laughs> Yeah, it, so you kind of have, he's a little bit of an unreliable narrator in a way because yeah. he just doesn't remember things. I mean, obviously he should have remembered um, Michelle Monaghan's character from high school. Like there's no way Harmony. you would, Harmony, you, there's no way you'd forget her. But we, we also don't know what his life was like between high school and then. Yeah. So one of the things that I did like is, um, and I didn't I didn't realize until this viewing, I, I guess I just hadn't paid enough attention in the opening credits, that it was based on a book. So I did do a little bit of researching um, recently just to, to find out a little bit more about that. Apparently the book was part of a series. Um, and so the books that they mention in the movie, the, um, I can't remember the, um, whatever whatever series, like detective series, it was sort of a series like that. Oh, okay. And, um, so they, they picked a, a book in that series and used that as sort of the, the basis for it, um, which I thought was kind of neat because it, I do know that um, from research I've done about Shane Black in the past, he's very into hard-boiled detective stories, and you get that. I mean, Long Kiss Goodnight, um, yeah. The Last Boy Scout, this. Even his take on Iron Man was kind of a, an MCU version of a hard-boiled detective novel. So... He definitely likes that type of story, and it worked here. It's it's sort of an almost, it's almost like a neo noir film. It's a hard boiled mm-hmm. story, but he's not a detective, which is also sort of a Shane Black thing of like let's take some tropes and kind of turn them on their head. So yeah, it's the hard boiled detective asks, story. Are, are you a detective? Are you a detective? Yeah, he never definitively says he's a detective. So 
Yeah, he just doesn't say I'm not a detective long enough exactly. for her to make that distinct or make that uh, jump herself. Yeah. Plus, I love little things like that first moment where he's you know he's going to stand up. So he's telling the story. So here he is basically telling the story of like, yeah, I, I was trying to defend her and then I just got my ass kicked. Like, I need to learn how to fight. I love that because you, you get him acting tough and just really being a stand-up guy and then you smash cut to him just getting beat down. Um, and that's a lot. That happens a few times in this, that, that style of, of joke telling. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I like Harry, it. Harry Got Beat should have been the name of the movie. <laughs> Um, so before I forget about this, uh, the original title wasn't kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It was, um, it ended up being like bang was the name. Val Kilmer actually suggested they call it kiss, kiss, bang, bang. He's like, it's going to catch people more. I had, I had not heard the term until I saw this movie. And apparently that, that was a way to describe like James Bond movies in Europe and like Italy. They were kiss, kiss, bang, bang movies. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, right, that makes sense. Yeah. So that that's where the title came from, and it it fits. I think if you if the title of this movie had been Bang, it was it'd be very different. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, Val Kilmer kissing another guy, like the, in the movie The Saint. You know, it just yeah. <laughs> you know, Gay Perry just the best character in the world. Right? Oh, you threw my gun. You threw my two thousand dollar gun. Yes. So, all right, let, let's talk about this cast now. We'll start with Val Kilmer because yeah. Gay Perry is an interesting character in that I don't remember prior to this a openly gay character being portrayed in kind of a, an action film that I can think of that was a lead, right? Wasn't like a side character or only a comic relief. Yeah. You know, and and I think it was also very smart of them the way they played him, where he played it very straight, but he was like sarcastic and sardonic the whole time. Yeah, um, and he has the funniest lines in the whole movie. I mean, he's just every time he's on screen, he's stealing the scene, the stealing the scenes. Um, I I am a big Val Kilmer fan. I know from what I've read, he can be difficult to work with. Um. But man, he's so good in this. <laughs> he tells Harry, "Look up the word dick, uh, idiot' in the dictionary." <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are you going to find? Uh, a picture of me? No. You'll find the definition of the word idiot, which you are. <laughs> and in like his delivery on stuff like that, like he had this way of delivering it where he was so frustrated he could just barely get the words out. So it was never like these long, drawn out. It was always his really staccato delivery. I just loved, I loved him throughout the whole thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, they have, of course, they have the bit at the end where he comes back and they poke fun at that. They're like, what, what is this? The oh, Hollywood ending where he a, just a, comes a, back a Lincoln, to life? Yeah. Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> but what was cool about, what was interesting is watching it this time, I'd never noticed before. Um, and if you watch it again, pay attention to this. When he's lying there after he gets shot, there'll be a couple of shots that show him laying there and you can see him moving. You can see him yep. breathing and like all that. So they sort of, and you know, they, they give little clues like his, his uh, ringtone on his phone is I will survive. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, which, uh, that, you know, that cracks me up too, but like, he's just great throughout the whole thing. Um, oh yeah. Uh, he had the other good line of like, I've been to Baltimore. You win. 
<laughs> just just stuff like that and like and he gets to be the one to deliver um the slaps to the the father at the end who by the oh. way that character that so um harmony's dad was played by let me find it here harrison young um who's in the movie for all of one scene i only bring him up because it's now the third movie i've covered on my show that harrison young has been in he was in this he was in Saving Private Ryan I just did a few weeks ago um, as Old Man Private Ryan. And he was in um, Bubba Hotep that I covered way back early on in the show. So apparently I have, an, I have to have a Harrison Young counter now. Every time he shows up in a movie we do, I got to, I don't know, play a sound or something. <laughs> I don't have anything. Uh, you are a saucy flirt. That'll work. Yeah, that works. Um, but yeah, Val Kilmer. Right. So, so this was a time period like Val Kilmer. You know, obviously real big in the '80s with Top Secret, Real Genius, um, doing uh, Top Gun. You know, all of that. Getting yeah. through in the '90s, he had a string of stuff that didn't do great. Um, what was it? Uh, after he had been in Tombstone, Tombstone, he's phenomenal in. I love him as Doc Holliday. Um, he did Batman Forever. Doors. Yep. Uh, we just covered Heat a few weeks ago on this. He's great in Heat. I really like him in that. Um, but then he saying, yeah. So he had the Island of Doctor Moreau, which bombed. Mm -hmm. The Ghost in the Darkness, which also kind of bombed, and then the Saint, which I liked, but didn't do very. I also liked it. Um. So that was his mid to late nineties run didn't help him very much. And then he started doing some different stuff. Um, he was in the Prince. He did voice of Moses and the Prince of Egypt, which is a really underrated animated film. Um, and then, uh, did you ever see the Salton sea? No. Or, uh, he did a David Mamet film called Spartan. I've seen Spartan. Um, I think I've seen Spartan. There's been many moons ago. Yeah, and he so he was kind of getting to some of these smaller things. So this sort of fit for him, like a smaller movie. This movie only had like a ten million dollar budget. Kiss, kiss, bang. bang. I thought it was fifteen. I think that's what ended up being. It was started. Yeah, I think it started at ten. But you're right. It did. It ballooned. It was originally budgeted for ten million dollars. Still though, fifteen million dollars is not much to make a movie. No, Uh, especially because it didn't barely made its returns. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, (laughs) But then he does this, and he kind of disappeared for a little bit. I mean, he didn't cause he was doing stuff, but, um, this was a, a really good one for him because he'd come off of uh, wonderland where he played John Holmes and Spartan and mind hunters. So he, he needed some, I think this was fun and it looks like he was having a lot of fun playing the role. Cause he just gets to, he gets the fun role in the movie of like, I get to be kind of the stoic guy that's also going to make fun of the main character and just spout one-liners the whole time. I mean, yeah. everything is is just a one-liner out of his mouth, and he does it with such a great, just a great way. Plus, he gets to dress awesome throughout the whole thing. Like all those turtlenecks and the suits he was wearing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he was, he was wonderful. And their other star, Robert Downey Jr., this was for my money, the movie that brought Robert Downey Jr. back. Because um, are you familiar with, you know, he spent time in jail and drugs yeah. and all of that. 
Um, yeah, he, he definitely went down a, a horrible path at one point. And it's sad because you look at, I mean, from the 80s on through, he, he had some great, great movies. Um, and it really started to get rough on him. And after Ally McBeal, and I think he got, I want to say he ended up getting um, kind of fired from that show because of his drug problems. Uh, but this was the movie that kind of revitalized his career because he had gotten into rehab. Um, apparently, part of the trivia I read was that Val Kilmer agreed or decided he wouldn't drink at all during the making of this movie because of Robert Downey Jr. being in rehab. Yeah. Which is, if that's true, that's a really cool gesture. Um, but this this one, I think honestly really kind of revitalized his career because after this, it was only a couple of years later that he was doing Zodiac and then Iron Man was, was not long after this. And you figure with how long it probably took to shoot Iron Man, if this comes out in 05, he's probably within a year or two working on Iron Man. So, and that really is what fully kind of revitalized his career. Um, but I don't, it's hard to say, yeah. it's hard to say he wouldn't have gotten the role. So Iron of, Man was in 2008. Yep. Um, and it said that Robert Downey Jr. considered his role as uh, Harry Lockhart as his calling card to play Tony Stark. So that was the mannerism, I guess, he was going with when he came in with the Tony Stark. Yeah, and honestly, uh, now that you've seen this movie, you probably can kind of see a little bit of that. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's yeah. some proto-Tony Stark in this. Not quite the same, because obviously Tony Stark's going to be a lot more refined. He's a lot cooler. He's a lot more self-confident. But you can yep. see the beginnings of that character and the way he plays him, that real fast talk, um, just hyper, hyper real kind of thing that he did. But he's good in this. He's really good in this. He's got that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, he's he just he kills it in this movie. He he's believable um, because he has like we were talking about that moment where he's you know he's acting like the tough guy and kind of puffing his chest out. Smash cut to he's getting his head beat into the grass. And his reaction is like, I need to learn how to fight. Yeah. And, and I love that. And like, it, you know, he spends a part of the movie passed out in the back of a car, right? Because he gets his finger cut off, which was a hilarious scene too. She slams the door, opens it back up. Did I just cut off your finger? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's on the floor. Can you put it in ice? I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see it. I can't look at it. <laughs> uh, which by well, the later way. you see a dog take it. Yeah. And by the way, they, they follow that all the way through because um, watch it again and pay attention to his hand in the final, that final scene. I did. Yeah. yeah he's like he's, this. Yep. He's got the finger missing. Um, yeah. It's just so his character in this and then his character of Paul, his portrayal of Paul Avery in Zodiac, which if, if you haven't seen Zodiac, I highly recommend that one too. Um, okay. Paul Avery is kind of similar. Um, so you can sort of see the the trend he was doing uh, with this movie and then a Scanner Darkly Zodiac on into um, Tony Stark and Iron Man. So, yeah, I, I was really – I remember when I first saw this movie and I thought, this is why Robert Downey Jr. had such a career before the drugs hit. Yeah. Is you can see the talent there. And so it's great. It wasn't all that right after Chaplin. Well, I mean, he started – with drugs kind of after Chaplin, but Chaplin was early in his career. So Tom, Tom Norm in the chat room was asking, um, but you know, he just, he battled with it for so long. It's great to see that he was able to overcome it and 
still have a good career. Um, cause he, I like him. I, he's very charismatic. Um, and he's a phenomenal actor when he plays the right role. And I think he, he does that a lot. He puts himself in a lot of his roles. And you could tell like in this role, he had a little bit of, you could see the little bit of freedoms he had, um, with the mannerisms and how he's able to move. Um, you just don't see it like it's not this. He's not stiff in this movie. No, not at you all. Know? And you can see where he's going and his one liners that he's coming back with Val Kimmer starts saying something. He's quick on it. He's fast. It's just, I oh, like yeah. the, when it starts off when he's like, uh, talking to his ne- nephew or niece about some type of toy. <laughs> yeah. <that> he's trying <laughs> You're also getting that, and he follows through with that. Oh, at that hotel. Oh, you're also getting the robot. Yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah. That that was a weird scene too. When that when the uh, with that whole thing with the guy in the robot costume. Yeah. <laughs> but that's again, that's kind of a Shane Black thing, and um, I do know that Downey Jr. got along so well with Shane Black that he really campaigned for him to do um, Iron Man three. So when they brought Shane Black in for Iron Man 3, whatever it was, eight years later, this movie sort of helped that happen. So that's and, that and Iron Man 3, for all the, the hate that it gets, I liked it. I think part of that I'm is try- I like I- Shane Black movies, but um, Iron Man 3 was the one with the Mandarin. Uh, everybody hates on the fact that oh, the Mandarin okay. reveal yeah. and, and all of that, but I yeah. enjoyed the movie. So Yeah, that one was interesting. <laughs> Um, Michelle Monaghan is Harmony Faith Lane. Um, she was interesting in this in that I think she did a really good job, but her character was just all over the place. So, so man. Well, I mean, you're dealing with a child that had incest in her life. Mm-hmm. She left at the age of 16. She had to make a lot of like, you know, she had to make a lot of life choices quick. Yeah. Um, leaving her little sister at the very beginning, that, that must've took a toll on her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could it, see it. I could see it. it. It adds up. Oh, definitely. No. And, and that's the thing is like, as the story progresses, you kind of get a better sense of why she's quite the way that she is. Um, mm-hmm. But early on, she just, it, at first it feels like a character that's just mood swings, but then you start to pick up more. You start to learn more as the, as the story gives you breadcrumbs. I like yeah. her. Um, she has a small recurring role in a bunch of the mission impossible movies um, as Ethan, Hunt's wife. Um, okay. She was in Mission Impossible three, and then she showed up in Fallout, um, the most recent one. Um, but I've I've liked her in things that I've seen her in. There's this. Um, I did like her in Mission Impossible three. I'm trying to think of what the other one was I saw um, that jumps out at me. Uh, no, she had an uncredited role in Constantine. I forgot about that. I forgot that she was in Pixels. Yeah. Um, I mostly forgot that movie, so. <laughs> That's understandable. I mean, it but. was. Yeah. Gone Baby Gone, I think, is what I'm what I'm remembering. I really enjoyed her in. She um, would have had that two years after uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And it's not a. No, yeah. Yep. That's what I'm thinking of. That was one. I need to watch that again because I haven't seen it in a few years. Um, but I like. I like her. I think she's good. Oh yeah, no, she definitely held her own. There were some times where you're like, okay, 
why are you just so fluent with your body? Oh, you want a handy? You know, <laughs> I could take care of you. Yeah. Well, think about that. Like she got out to LA and yeah. at that age where I'm sure she had a rough life. Let's put it that yeah. way. That character had yeah. a rough life. Um, but yeah, she's she's fun. Uh, Corbin Burnson is Harlan Dexter. Not in the movie for very long. Sort of the, I guess, antagonist. He ends up being sort of the bad the bad guy at the end, but he's barely in the movie. Like they they have him in the beginning. Uh, they even make the the reference. They do the fourth wall break in his narration, where like. What was the point of this scene? You don't, you think maybe that's going to come back at the end of the movie? It's going to come back in the end of the movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I love Corbin Burnson. Um, I just got done watching for probably the fourth time the entire series of Psych. And he's in almost yeah, every single episode a, of that. So. She's like, he's a father in Psych. Yeah. Yep. Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... It, great I, show. Oh, it is. Uh, and he's great in it. And he's great in this. It, it's just having to juxtapose like him being kind of he's he's an ass in this movie like he he ends up being not a nice guy and so for a little bit like for the first probably 15 20 seconds where he popped up in this as the bad guy and I was like oh that's right I forgot he's the bad guy in this movie I don't like him because all I'm seeing is Henry Spencer but I love too that they used footage from wish I could remember what the movie was that they found of him like 20 years ago because that was that was from a movie or a show that he did back in the 80s um (coughs) pardon me um so yeah I I wish I kind of wish he had been in the movie more um but that just wasn't the story that they were telling that wasn't the plot thread that they wanted to follow yeah I mean you know you you're talking about somebody who it's supposed to be the father doing reconciliation or, or what, how did uh, Robert Downey Jr. said reconciled or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, basically w- the whole premise of him was to have an undercover, get all of his millions back without having any issue and anybody figuring it out. Yeah. Well, so I say that I wish he had been in the movie more. I actually, the, the runtime of this movie is about an hour and 45 minutes right around there. Yeah. Uh, which I think is perfect. I think if you, there's not a whole lot I would have cut out. I think the pacing was good, but I also don't think it would have worked had it been a whole lot longer. And the only way you're going to get more of that character and that plot is to pad the runtime. Because if you, yeah. you don't want to take away from the Harmony and Harry story. Because that's really the central part of it. <clears throat> so I get why he wasn't in it more. It's 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 sort of that double edged sword. Like I want more of this character, but I don't want the I don't really want to change the structure of the movie because if you if it gets too long and you really start exploring that plot, now you're looking at a two two hour and ten minute movie. You're adding twenty to thirty minutes on here, and some of the way that this one's structured, I think, would wear thin getting it too long. I think a shorter runtime benefits a movie like this. Plus it probably helped um, get it made, right? If you can get it out there for a shorter movie, studios are more likely to give you some money. Especially when you go over budget. (laughs) By like 50%, you go from a 10 to a $15 million budget. Um, A couple of other small roles were Dash Mihawk 
as Mr. Frying Pan and uh, Rockman Dunbar as Mr. Fire, which was a fun little scene where uh, he makes the joke about Mike, Ike, and uh, Mustard, which I yep. had never heard before. I'm Mustard. And that's <laughs> apparently like an old uh, an old reference. Um, from what I read, it had something to do with Mike, Ike, and Mustard. In uh, the reference, Ike, Mike, and Mustard quote, Mike and Ike are box candies in mixed colors, black and white, and also diner slang for salt and pepper. Also, pre-1950s, an Ike, Mike, and Mustard joke was an off-color joke, generally with sexual references that wouldn't be told in polite or mixed company. That part I had no idea of. I didn't know that either. I mean, it's IMDb trivia, so who knows, but I I found that interesting uh, because that's probably what he was referencing, not necessarily the candy. I think Rock Dunbar just kind of really holds that uh, show when he's like, he's getting that plastic bag out and he's just, you know, he's pulling it out and then he looks up. Oh, you got a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's a real turning point for Harry too, because that's when he, he decides I'm not just going to be a bystander anymore. I'm not, I'm going to get involved in what's going on here. And well, it's his case. Yeah. Yeah, and and so that's a an important scene, and it's played perfectly. Like Rock Dunbar is great in that scene because I completely buy. Like he wouldn't have any reason to be frightened of this dude, even if he picks up the gun at this point. He has nothing telling him that this guy has has the stones to pull the trigger. Yeah. So he that look of confusion on his face when it finally happens is just gold. Um, and is it me or does he look a little bit like Common? You know the like rapper who? Common. Oh, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure who that is. Okay, he kind of looks like a like a just a little bit. And I, at first, I thought that's who it was. Um, and then the other guy, Mister Frying Pan. Well, Dad. I, I watch nine one one TV show on Fox. Oh, okay. And he he's a father figure, a gay father figure on on uh, that nine one one show. Oh really? Uh, who's just survived cancer? So, oh. <laughs> that's that's where I follow him. Oh okay, I have not seen that show. Um, yeah, let me find. Uh, well, you can look up a picture of the rapper Common, and it, he just reminded me a little bit of him. Um, and then Dash Mihawk played the other guy, um, and he shows up in a lot of stuff. I I always like him. He's fun, and he's got a cool name. I want to oh, be named Dash. Oh oh. Um... Common is the one that was in Dexter. Yes. Yeah, he was in Wanted. He was in. Um... Yep, and he throws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of see where. I see yeah, a little. Yeah, I mean, bit. there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, but Common definitely has that the speckling around his eyes that just make his eyes pop. Yeah, yeah, and once like once Rock was on screen for more than. 30 seconds. I'm like, Oh no. Okay. It's not common. Um, and yeah, I didn't know he was on nine one one. I, I mean, I liked him. I'm going to have to check some more stuff out that he's done. He's really good in nine one one. Um, you had Larry Miller as Dabney Shaw, who's in the movie for all of what, like two scenes, but he's, he's in that wonderful scene where he, where, uh, Harry's running from the cops and he yep. runs into the building and it's the audition. And first of all, raw talent. Yeah. First of all, Larry Miller is hilarious. 
and he can he can deliver lines like nobody else. There's something to his dry delivery and stuff that just kills me. Um, but that scene was great <laughs> because it's like old school method acting. It's like, well, he's yeah, he is method acting because he's actually having a breakdown right now. Yeah. Um, I did kill him. I did kill him. <laughs> um, I mean, the rest of the, the cast is, um, for the most part, people you haven't heard of. Although Pink Haired Girl, um, was it was driving me crazy uh, because I, I mean, I've seen the movie before, but I was watching it this time and it was throwing me off why she looks so familiar. A Knight's Tale. She was in that. Uh... She was like the main love interest in A Knight's Tale. Oh, okay. I know the the princess. Yeah, right? she was the princess. So, I mean, obviously without pink hair, but that was driving me just nuts trying to figure that, out. I was like, I recognize her face, <laughs> and then when like put the lips up there, why does that look familiar? And I, for the life of me, cannot figure it out. But yeah, now now that you say that, I totally hear it. Yeah. So yeah, um, I mean that's the main parts of the cast. You had. Um, it's a lot of smaller, a lot of roles. I was surprised at how many people are in the cast. Um, just on like the IMDb page, but, um, but that's the, the basics of it. I mean, this movie's carried by Downey, uh, Downey Jr. And Val Kilmer and they just kill it. And, uh, we can thank this movie for us getting the Iron Man that we did in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so we have talked a couple of times about the budget being eh, right in that $15 million range. Um, this movie did not make much money. Worldwide, it made just under $16 million. Yeah. That's not good. Um, part of it was, I was reading, it did not get a wide release. It was released on a small number of screens and never really expanded from there. So it got a little bit of a boost in like home video. Um, that's when I saw it was after the fact on DVD. But it's kind of sad because this movie should have done better, even though it's R-rated and it's kind of a weird story. And, um, you know, it's sort of a, a niche audience. Um, I still think it could have done better than the $4 million it made in the U.S. if they'd given it a wide release. So it's kind of Well, I mean, sad. on op- opening day, it didn't even make $200,000. Yeah, that's true. And I think part of that was just how few screens they put it on. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. I read. But it was not it was not very many screens, and they just never really expanded out beyond that. Um, which is a bummer. But, you know, at the same time, like, if this movie made a ton of money, there would have been people clamoring for a sequel. And honestly, I don't want a sequel to this. Leave it what it is. Let it be this one self-contained story. It doesn't ever have to be anything more, in my opinion. I think there's there's times when you just don't need a sequel to something. And this is one of those movies. Like it it works for what it is, but if you try to try to capture uh that it's, it's sort of why um buddy cop films for me, sequels to those are always hit or miss because you're trying to capture that same chemistry and that same thing that made Lethal Weapon work three more times. Yeah. And you get diminishing returns. I mean, Rush Hour was the same way. The first Rush Hour, I enjoy the hell out of. But the sequel's diminishing returns because you're, you're just you're never going to capture that same lightning in a bottle, I don't think. So, And this is, for all intents and purposes, kind of a buddy cop film. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you're talking about 
um, you know, even if it was just Val Kilmer in the film uh, bringing it all together, I think you still couldn't be able to pull off the, the whole story because Val Kilmer it plays a major role in Robert Downey Jr.'s um, character because without Val Kilmer, you don't have Robert Downey Jr. getting away from the crime and he's getting arrested. He, he destroys evidence and doesn't know how to destroy it. Right. He, you know, um, pisses on the, <laughs> he pisses on the girl. That, so <laughs> that is both funny and realistic to me because he's, he's half drunk, stumbles into the bathroom, starts using the bathroom, looks over and there's a corpse <laughs> in the shower. And yep. what does he do? He has a freak out moment and he turns and he starts peeing on the corpse. And now it's like, what do I do now? I peed on the corpse, which had another one of the great Perry lines, which is why in blue perfect hell would you pee on a corpse Yeah, <laughs> as he's on the phone with him? Like it's, it's all those moments. You're right. I'll be there in four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, why, why, why don't you just leave it here? Somebody called the cops on you at your hotel and you just want to leave the body here. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um kit london says trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice you're right that's exactly it yeah. um it's a very yeah. difficult thing to do it really really is um i did think it was interesting to read that robert downey jr met his wife on this movie one of the producers ended up being his wife oh um i don't know if they're still together or not where is her name i don't know um I always do this. Think of stuff I'm and I, I don't write it down. Uh, Susan Downey was executive producer. She was Susan Eleven at the time. So and they uh, they were originally going to have Johnny Knoxville as uh, Harry Lockhart. I read that. That would have made for a very different movie because it, I think I like Johnny Knoxville and I think he's actually a decent actor. But it would have oh, yeah. been he, much, much actor. more physical comedy than even what uh, Robert Downey Jr. did in this. Harry like would have been in, in the Ringer, or yeah, I, Harry would have been very different because with Johnny Knoxville, like you almost want you're almost going to have the Harry character be kind of dumb at that point, like dumber than he's portrayed in this. Downey yeah. Jr. can come, kind of pull off like the. He's sort of lovably dumb, but at the same time, like you can tell he can take care of himself. With Johnny Knoxville in two thousand five, I I feel like he would have been more of like the um ah, just I I feel like he would have come off as being more dumb and less capable. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a sense of the Robert Downey Jr. um having his like honor or I don't know how to say it, but like when he's, oh, you better be the doctor. There's Johnny Knoxville probably would have got his ass beat, but probably wouldn't have, you know, been, I don't know, to me, it wouldn't have been like more of a, hey, you better be the doctor, quick with the mind. It would have been more of, you better be the doctor and then forcibly come close and close a gap between yeah. that guy. So I think you would have definitely had a different, you would have had a different Harry for sure. Yeah. Um, when he covers that, um, that dead woman who's supposed to be the daughter, mm -hmm. 
um, to cover her privates. You know, he's like, or he tries to kill the spider. There's a there's a sense of honor and not being all rapisty. Yeah. So there's a there's an innocence. Um, yeah. That I think Downey can portray, especially at this point. Now, now Knoxville's gotten a, is has even gotten better as an actor. And yeah. I think that eventually he could. I just don't think 2005 Johnny Knoxville would have would have given that same feeling. Uh, so you're, no, you would have so, had more of a like a, a jackass feel still. Yeah, a little more slapsticky. Um, yeah, and this definitely. I mean, this has slapstick to it, but it's like a darker slapstick. I just think um, I'm not saying it would have been bad. I'd be interested to you know go to the alternate universe where Johnny Knoxville was cast in this movie, um, but. There's, and Tom, uh, Tom and Norm, Norm in the chat mentions uh, dry humor works better here. And yeah, that kind of that, because if you have a, if you have a Johnny, like a more slapstick physical comedian, I'm not sure how that plays off of the lines and the one-liners and the quips that you're getting from Val Kilmer. Right. And how is, how is he at delivering those back? How is he at throwing those barbs back at him? Because that was what really made that dynamic work was Val Kilmer was very much, I mean, just throwing the barbs left and right and really putting him down. But Harry was able to give it back to him a little bit. Even even when it was something where he's like, what, you think I'm stupid? And he goes, I don't think you could feed yourself if you didn't flap your mouth so much. Yes, I think you're <laughs> stupid. And just the look that he gives him after that is like, okay, I kind of get what you're saying. So it there on the trivia it says Harry's uh, game of Russian roulette. First off, the math. We'll go into that. <laughs> While asking the subject, subject, and where is the girl? Is a mirror of Russell Crowe's scene from L.A. Confidential. That's where they pull that from. Yep, and we covered we've covered L.A. Confidential on the show, and I remember that scene. And yeah, it is. But here, instead of being just played for tension, it's played for laughs and. Oh man, is it funny? Because he he puts a live round in the gun. Yeah. It happened. It it is the one that comes up, so it goes off, and the reaction from Perry is just great. It's just what did you do? Eight percent. Eight percent. Who who taught you math? <laughs> and then he's he's still trying to figure it out as as Perry's <laughs> on the phone with Harmony, and he's over there yeah. still trying to do the math. Oh, that one, that one is great. Like there, there's that, that's very Shane Black style writing right there. That kind of stuff. And even the, the whole thing where, um, the guy's walking him with the gun and Perry's like, you know, the thing is the pros want five feet of distance because if they don't have that, then the guy can do this. And he takes the gun from him. Like that's a Shane Black thing right there too, which I do like. I I like taking tropes and kind of turning them on their head. I, I wrote that down in my notes to myself a couple of times. Um, what was the one? I know I did it. Ah. But yeah, I mean, he 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 does a pretty good job of taking the tropey moment and then making it funny or turning it or or somehow um, subverting that trope in a in a way that I enjoy. Um. And he pays off his jokes too. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely a follow through that I've noticed on almost every joke. Um, you know, uh, you talk about, uh, the, like the magician, you mm-hmm. know, Harry has some fast hands Yeah, when he, when he rocks that, uh, coffin, 
and the gun goes right into his hand. I have in my notes, um, Captain fucking Magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. and and it's great because they set that up a scene or two earlier where um, he grabs the cell phone out of the air. So they yep. set they set up that moment for you, and they set up the fact that uh, that Harlan Dexter knows that he's got fast hands. So it's a, it's the perfect uh, kind of quip at that moment. Um, you know, again, in, in the Shane Black universe where people are, are constantly throwing out one-liners, like it works. It just hits, it hits the beats and it made me laugh. Um, and that's, that's what works for it. Like, that's what I want. I want to enjoy it. Like a movie like this, uh, I want to see is escapism, right? I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and nitpick all the stuff that isn't realistic about it because yeah. there's a lot of that, but that's not the type of movie this is. This exists in a, un- in a different universe. Um, and I just enjoy the hell out of it. Apparently in that universe, Cal, uh, Colin Farrell also exists. <laughs> Colin Farrell. He, we wanted more money. He wanted more money. That's why you're not getting the part. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh man. And that's a very Hollywood thing right there. That's kind of, uh, oh, yeah. lifting the, the veil a little bit, like to people that maybe don't know that kind of stuff happens. And that's what I like about it is there's definitely a fourth wall break um in in that aspect too because you've seen he's trying to play a part well first he's a thief he gets an audition and then he goes to a a party where you know oh well, yeah everybody knows that girl because she works at the the whatever party i've i've used that girl before mm-hmm. and then you know you get like um uh Oh, you know, Gay Perry, and then you get characters that um, really, you know, outside of it, you wouldn't really see anything like that. No. No, you really wouldn't. Um, Plus, I mean, how cool was was Perry as a character? Like, the moment where he comes back and he walks into the club and he says something and and somebody chucks the the drink at him. He just ducks it. Yeah. Just just calmly, doesn't even break stride, just ducks underneath it, it hits somebody else and he keeps going. Like he was just he was cool. Um I'm trying to look at my notes. There was something else I had down here. And I, don't I have one of one of the quotes like why why they call you Gay Perry? <laughs> and he's like <laughs> He's like, I'm I'm knee deep or he goes, I'm knee deep in pussy. <laughs> yeah. He's like But you I, know, I just but really I, like the name. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, there were some uh, there were some great lines like that for sure. Um, okay, so I do want to talk a little bit about the the opening. So the opening credits were kind of a fun, stylized, very James Bond sort of open. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music was by John Ottman. Now John Ottman has scored a ton of movies, but I I know him from uh, The Usual Suspects. He did the music for that. Okay. Um, but he's done a bunch of Brian Singer's movies. So he did the music for Superman Returns, for X-Men 2, for um, a couple of the other X-Men movies. Outside of that, most of the music in this was like licensed songs. Um, the the music that plays over the end credits, did that voice sound familiar to you at all? Because it, Is that it the should. one that Robert Downey did? That was his, uh, yeah. Because his album came out uh, shortly after this movie when he decided he wanted to be a, a jazzy blues singer or whatever he was doing. Um, I can't tell if that song over the end credits is supposed to be satire or not. 
I can't tell it. I, I can't remember it. Um, it just, I just, I just watched it again uh, a couple hours ago because I wanted to have it fresh in my head. It's there's something about that song that feels like it's straddling the line between he was earnestly just trying to make a song that sounded like that. And he was making like a satirical version of that style of song. And I can't tell which it is because it was Robert Downey Jr. Who knows? It could have been either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I was listening to it, cause I'd forgotten that that was him. Um, and I'm listening to him like, man, the voice sounds familiar. And I've heard some of his music before. So eventually it came, it came to me. And then when it, when it scrolled up through the credits, cause I did sit through the entire credits. I'm curious, who do you think, he is pitching this movie to because it's basically one long movie pitch. It, so you're talking about Harry at the, at the very end. Yeah. At the very end talking about it at the very end. Um, I don't know. I think yeah, he would be pitching it to like a reboot of the detective novels that, cause he wanted to have two cases and then them come together I think this is the story of the two cases coming together and trying to bring that little aspect to it and doing a new reboot of the series. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I just remembered that book that stopped the bullet. Oh yes. Oh, that, that, so that was it. That was the one I was trying to think of. That's that trope subversion where it's like he got shot and he, he honestly thinks that the book stopped it. He's like, yeah, yeah. check it out. Look, Wait, but there's a hole in it. Oh, he looks down and he realizes he's been shot. I literally just watched um, uh, the Three Musketeers yesterday, mm. and when the Three Musketeers, one of the, the the one that is played by Charlie Sheen, gets shot, the cross stops the bullet. Yeah, and I was like, oh, there's that trope. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, the bullet did not get stopped. Nope. <laughs> uh, so. He actually gets shot a couple times in this movie too, because he got shot yeah. at the beginning through the arm. So through the arm, that was interesting too. In the beginning of the movie, he gets shot in the arm. It goes through and through, and then hits his buddy behind him. And at the end of the movie, it goes through and through Perry, and hits him. So yeah, it's kind of a nice little oh, book. I, I didn't. I yeah yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I mean, that's kiss kiss bang bang. Like, it's a fun movie. Um, I recommend it. What? It, so you enjoyed the movie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was a great movie, especially when they pull out the little Dillinger. <laughs> yeah, the little Derringer. <laughs> oh, that was great. That's um, my fat gun. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, this movie's got it. I will say this. There is, there is language used in it that probably wouldn't get written into a film that's made now. Yeah even though I think it's a good portrayal of a gay character because yes, they make, he's the point of his character isn't that he's gay, but being gay is played in the movie a lot. However, I do think through the lens of a 2020 world, they wouldn't make quite as many, like the jokes that they make at his expense wouldn't be done now. Like at right after, so they're, they're in the, the, alleyway they're trying to put the body into the trunk and they see the cop car so perry's like quick kiss me kiss me kiss me and you know they want to make it look like they're just making out in the alley yeah. and then robert Downey jr's you know harry's immediate reaction to that is you know to spit and be like these these lessons suck like 
I quit. Yeah, I quit just because he had to kiss him. Like, that doesn't play as well now, but I don't think it's mean-spirited, so that's why it doesn't bother me personally. Granted, yeah. again, I'm not a, a gay man to, to be... I mean, I'm not very qualified to say whether or not it's offensive, but I do think that the the way that they played the character and they made that aspect of him um, very... It's played for laughs, but I just don't think in a mean-spirited way. No, I don't think they, they had any intentions of making it like a, a super derogatory like gay hate bashing or anything like that. No. I think the whole purpose of it is to make it more fun, you know, make it a little more, more satire. And in that sense, it's, you know, it works. It definitely works. Mm-hmm. Um, my pride flag is not for me, but for my, my child. So I, you know, um, I totally, I don't have any role in saying if it's right or wrong either. So, I'll just say, in my opinion, I think it works. I don't think it's bashing any um, LGBT area. No, I and I like I say, I don't think it was. If if somebody sees this movie and they don't like that portrayal, they don't like the way that um, that's used or the the jokes that are made, um, then that's fine. Like that's you know you you're perfectly valid to feel that way. I just don't I don't think it's that bad. Even what fifteen years later. Yeah. Um, it's not like characters that were written as, as gay in a movie in like the nineties when nobody knew how to write a gay character to where they made like every homosexual character in something in the nineties had to be really effeminate. Right. And they just didn't do that with him here, which was great. Um, and I just, I really enjoy, uh, Val Kilmer in the role and you can tell he's having fun with it. So. It's a good movie. I recommend seeing it. If, if For those of you listening who haven't seen it, I know Kit London mentioned earlier, it's worth getting. And right now you can pick it up. Uh, I think you can buy it on Amazon for like four ninety nine. dollars It was $3.99, $2.99 to rent. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. it's not real uh, not real expensive, and I think it's worth it. So it's a quick hour and 45 minutes. It's a fun little detective, um, hard-boiled detective story, and you get a lot of uh, good quips, and you get some... Uh, proto Tony Stark version of uh, of Robert Downey Jr. I agree. I, I also think that it's a great movie. Um, if you want to understand like the how Tony Stark comes about, this is the movie to get started in for sure. Yeah, you really you really get the sense of where he found parts of that character, which is great. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, him and Val Kilmer both are really good at what they do. Um, I think like Val Kilmer, he can play a little stiff at times, which I think is why this role worked so much better for him is he, he didn't feel stiff. He was supposed to be a little bit, but it didn't feel like his version of say Bruce Wayne where in Batman forever, where I go back and watch that now and it feels like he's phoning it in. He definitely didn't phone this in. Like he was invested. He, he wanted to be there. So, and Shane Black. I mean, again, I like Shane Black stuff. I do want to see the Predator, um, just because I like his movies. The new, the new Predator is pretty good. You did like it, okay? Because that was written yeah. and directed by him. 
So it's yeah, the same. It, it's actually really good. Um, uh, they have a really good fight scene. I'm not going to give it a lot away, um, but there's a really good fight scene that I think you'll dig. Yeah, it's one on my list to watch here soon because um, I, I just I enjoy Predator and Predator 2 a lot. Um, I have skipped the Alien versus Predator movies, but that's me. Yeah, I don't blame you on that one. <laughs> I, I've watched the Alien versus Predator, and when the Predators come down to fight the aliens, it's, I don't know. It's not a very good movie, in my opinion. I think it loses I, its story. I watched most of the first one, and I couldn't stand it, so I couldn't bring myself to watch the next one, Um, which is sad because I love both those franchises so much. But yeah, I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Check it out. You can find it on all the different streaming services. Uh, it, it's not streaming like Netflix or anything, and I don't know if it will be anytime soon. But all the you know Apple, Google, Amazon, you can buy it at any of those or rent it. Um, it's definitely worth a rental. And if it's still on sale and it's under 5 bucks, it's worth picking up. Because I, I, I think most people will enjoy it. And it's kind of a almost a hidden gem because it because it didn't do so well um it just is not talked about very often i mean i like to when we do a movie i like to go on youtube and look and see what other shows or um you know youtube channels have done like retrospectives or done done on topics if you search for kiss kiss bang bang on youtube all you get are clips from the movie and the trailer so it's just one of those that's kind of underrepresented and it's really one that I think more people should see. So I'm glad that I got you to see it. <clears throat> um, so you have a show called Rooster Bat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell That's people right. about that and where they can find it. Um, well, you can find it right here on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv uh, slash Rooster Bat, or you can go to roosterbatshow.com. Um, we air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight your time. And um, the reason we went so late is because we wanted to make sure Wi-Fi held up. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I work a 24-hour job, and so usually I don't I don't know when I'm working unless I'm working that late. Um, so uh, the the whole premise of our show is we just kind of wanted to bring a little bit of good news to the LGBT community. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of like a learning curve for the straights. Um, and has my daughter who helps transition people to understanding. And then, of course, we play a little game. Um, we got a little, uh, like, we do BuzzFeed games and stuff like that. And we we have phone in, so if people want to call in, they can, you know, chat with us and, and talk to us directly. That's awesome. So That's great. Well, yeah, definitely check it out, people. Rooster Bat, uh, Rooster Bat Show. Definitely worth yeah. a worth a check out. And I'm and thank you for coming on this week. This was fun. Absolutely, um, man. I'm glad that uh, you know, we got the we made the connection and we're able to get things going and uh you know, I got to help you uh see a movie that you hadn't seen. So broaden some yeah. horizons, it's always good. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um so uh let's see. I do this show on Sunday nights, um streaming here, uh eight PM. And comes out on Wednesdays as a podcast. So if you can't catch it um, and you, you are listening to the podcast, it's that's not going to go away. Um, but you're always, everyone's welcome to come hang out in the chat room. Um, I do read it. I don't always exp- uh, answer everything or I try to as much as I can. Yes, 8 p.m. Eastern time. That is correct. 
Um, I've got a new show starting up uh, tomorrow. Actually, will be episode number one of uh, a show I'm doing. We're going to, it's called Let's Watch Highlander. And we're going to do Twitch live stream uh, party, watch party of the first episode of Highlander, the series. And then um, my co-host, Audie, and I will sit around and talk about it afterwards. So that's starting up. Um, definitely come hang out for that. If you have Amazon Prime or Twitch Prime, you can you can do the watch party with us. And then we'll hang out and talk about the show after that. There can be only one watch-along show. No, there can be only one 119 episodes. That's the tagline. So that's that's starting up tomorrow. That'll be every Monday around 9, 9.30 is when we're going to be starting that. We're, we're going to nail down the exact time here pretty soon. But going to be shooting for like that 9, 9.30 time slot, Eastern time. So, yeah, come back and check out that. Uh, David, again, thank you for being on this week. This was wonderful. Um, we'll have to do it again. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll find another movie that you haven't seen or maybe uh, we talked about some stuff that you really like that I haven't seen. So we can go with that. Uh, but thanks, everybody, in the chat room. Kit London, um, Smashy stopped by. We had Monkey Bananas, Bad Carrot Studios, in Norm, everybody. I love you guys. I enjoy doing this show for you. Um, and uh, thank you for being here. Let's take a look. And all right. So, yeah, um, that was the show for this week. What I like to say to everybody as we uh, get ready to go is enjoy your movies and in this weird time, be excellent to each other. Talking monkey, yeah, yeah, came here from the future. Ugly sucker, only says ficus. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>